I'm Kristen, and this is the Explorer in You podcast. Now, what I've discovered after visiting five continents and some amazing places is that the greatest thing standing in your way of seeing the world is what you believe is possible. I believe that travel is for everyone on any budget, and it doesn't have to be overwhelming. So this podcast is all about unlocking the Explorer in you. You'll hear stories from people who will inspire you to set big travel goals and show you how to achieve them. Let's explore. Hi, Ari. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Wanted to start off with asking you to share a little bit about your journey to becoming an expat and then to talk a little bit about your blog along with Ari. My journey to becoming an expat was a strange and unexpected one. Um, I thought that I was going to be abroad for about nine-ish months. Um, I moved to Thailand to teach English, thought it'd be this, you know, great adventure. Um, I never got to study abroad in university, so this was kind of going to supplement that. And then I really, really enjoyed it and didn't really see a reason to come home, um, especially when planes could just bring me home for a few weeks and then I could get right back over to Asia. Uh, And I found a job in Chiang Mai where I was um, introduced to the world of international teaching and really found my niche and loved what I was doing and was like, I I can do this for the rest of my life if I want to. Um, And I can do it without having to deal with living in the United States and all of like the taxes and the, and everything's just so expensive. Um, but yeah, so then I've, I've been here for six years now, uh, and don't really see myself going back anytime soon. Um, and then for the blog, I started it just because I wanted to have something to look back on, uh, when I maybe did move back or decide to settle down to kind of see where I started and the adventures that I've been on and Maybe I can share those tips with friends or anybody else that might uh, want to read them. I definitely want to talk about your experience um, living in Chiang Mai, but I was curious if there was like a specific moment where you knew that you wanted to try living abroad. It's, it's kind of weird when I tell this story, but I honestly think that I woke up one day and I was like, I think that this is a good idea. Because when I really try to dig deep in my brain and figure out why did I even, like, how did I come up with such a, such a plan? Um, I was applying to master's programs when I was living in Portland after I graduated college and weird things kept happening. My applications didn't make it to schools and uh, letters of recs weren't making it from my professors to the universities I was applying to. And I was just really disheartened. And I was like, I need to figure something out. I don't know what that is, but I need to figure something out. And I genuinely think I kind of woke up and was like, I think I'm gonna teach English. A few friends had done something very similar uh, for like a summer program, but nothing long and concrete. And it was one of those things where I thought about it. I kind of looked into it. And then all of a sudden, every single person that I talked to was like, this is what you need to do. I can't picture you doing anything else. You need to go and do this. Maybe you can come back. Maybe you can stay there. We don't know, but try it and see what happens. Um, And then so I left. So it sounds a little like destined or just things were aligning. Yeah, yeah. And and 
you know, like you, when you make these sorts of decisions, you're like asking your friends, you're like, tell me like, what do I do? Does it sound like a good idea? And I feel like when people have these kind of big ideas, they'll ask sometimes their most skeptical friends. And if, Mm -hmm. depending on what their most skeptical friends say, they kind of know which path to take depending on the feedback that they get. And so I had a few friends that were like, why are you applying to grad school? Like, do you really want this? And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I guess these are the friends that I need to ask about moving abroad. And those are the ones that were like, we need you to do this. If it's not for, for yourself and for us, like go, go and be abroad and tell us what that experience is like. It's great to have friends like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of nudging you in like the path that ended up being what you were supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. so that's, that's really neat. <laughs> um, and so you have been, li- you were living in Chiang Mai and I spent about a week there um, a few years ago, I think 2014. And it's such a nice place to to live, I imagine. It was a nice place to visit. Um, so how can you describe a little bit about your experience living there, how you supported yourself, um, and how much maybe you were able to travel? When I first moved to Thailand, living in Chiang Mai was the goal. Okay. And uh, when I was originally placed, I was placed in this very small town north of Bangkok, um, and then eventually found this job there. And that was kind of another destined thing um, that wouldn't have come about unless I was doing what I did before. But living there was great, honestly. It was the best part of Thailand to live in, in my opinion. Like Phuket is really nice. Bangkok is really nice. But there's something about Chiang Mai that has such a small town feel, but escapability is really accessible. So the airport is located within the city, as I'm sure you know. Mm And from my front door to the gate uh, in, the air, in the airport took me maybe 12 minutes, depending on how uh, speedy I was right. being. So it was easy to just, you know, if I needed a week and away, I could go. I do remember that being so strange. Like, how was the airport so close to this lovely like place? And it didn't really seem to like overshadow the city, which sometimes it can do when your airport is like right Mm -hmm. on top of the city. It was very interesting and so convenient. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's made wherever I move. uh, Like that's one of the things that I have to look for is how easy can I get to the airport mm-hmm. on a, mm-hmm. like within an hour or whatever? Right. Uh, KL is actually not that great. It's very okay. far away, but, <laughs> um, but I mean, other, other than that, like Chiang Mai was just gorgeous. You could be in the city and you would look to the left and you would see mountains and you would look to the right and you would see mountains. And it was, it was kind of surreal living there. There was a huge expat community. There's a lot of digital nomads that live there because Wi-Fi speeds are pretty great. There's a lot of great cafes. Uh, the community in general is just pretty large. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lot of international teachers that are there, a lot of uh, yogis and people that just, they didn't really want to settle anywhere else. So they chose Chiang Mai. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty easy to live in. So, And then it sounds like you were able to travel to different places pretty easily and probably um, economically too. Yeah. Yeah. So like a flight to Bangkok from Chiang Mai, when I first moved there could be $50 round trip. Okay. And that's more on the 
bendier side of things I would say and like buses are really cheap um I once looked at tickets to Australia for a weekend which I a trip that I didn't end up going on but tickets were as cheap as $325 round trip and so travel was just really accessible domestically and internationally. Um, You just kind of needed to get to Bangkok, which is the bigger hub to fly to these places. But it was, there was no point in living anywhere else. Right, right. (laughs) And then, um, so was living in Chiang Mai like what you expected or was living abroad what you expected? A little bit. So I had grown up, visiting Singapore a lot because my mom is from Singapore. So I very much equated living in Thailand uh, to be similar, which in some ways it was, but in a lot of ways it wasn't. Um, When I first moved, it was nothing like I expected. Bangkok was this crazy, dirty, kind of disgusting city. And I was just like, what? have I done? Uh, and then we moved to uh, a beach town called Bohin. And that was when I really knew that this is what I loved. Um, the people were just so nice. It was gorgeous. There was hiking. Um, it Being an expat is really, really easy in Thailand. The way that people treat you is better than I think you would get treated on a on a regular basis anywhere mm-hmm. else. Um, they have a really, really high regard for foreigners, um, which is a good and a bad thing. Um, they're just very yeah, kind I mean, it was, too, I think. Yeah, yeah, they're very, very nice people. And I think it was more developed than I expected in certain areas, of course, not, not everywhere, but. What was it like being there with COVID? How was that? being handled. The reason why I wanted to talk to you is because our listeners are mostly US-based and we're not able to travel, but to sort of hear how the other parts of the world are dealing with day-to-day life, and especially in this um, pandemic, I think is um, just, it's good to know, you know, it's good to be an informed sort of global citizen. You're not just focused on, you know, what's going on in your area. Thailand has been doing amazingly even now um i think as of current they're only at a little over 3000 total cases uh since january we were one of the first countries to really have a strong response once um china let let loose that this virus was kind of going around um the school that i worked at had a lot of chinese students so they were directly affected um mm-hmm. and a lot of them were boarding students so I had students that stayed at the boarding school for four months straight because we weren't allowed to leave. Like, and where my school was, was in a mountain jungle area. So there's nowhere to go. So they literally were kind of stuck on this compound uh, for months on end because it was just a safety precaution. Um, I would say that when I left Thailand, they, had almost kind of moved back to normal. Domestic travel had opened. I think the thing that was hurting them most was that there was no foreign tourism. A lot of their tourism comes from China, comes from Malaysia, from Russia, and they just like weren't getting that. But they were really trying to push on domestic tourism. And it was really cool to see some places uh, not be filled with foreigners all the time. Um, 
in terms of their response, I think that they were appropriately strict. Um, Thailand's government itself is generally a little bit more strict than other places. So they had high fines for people that were out past curfew, but you had to be wearing masks. You could only leave in like groups of two per household. Um, they were just, they were strict. Um, they were doing a lot of contact tracing, temperature checks. Uh, I felt very safe the whole entire time I was there. What is the demographic uh, breakdown of Thailand in terms of like age? I spoke with one woman who was living in Uruguay and she said they had a, a high elderly population. So they were like super on top of like COVID and taking care of their um, grandmothers, grand grandfathers. I don't know if does Thai have, I don't know what that breakdown is. Like, is it mostly young? Is it? That I, I'm not super sure about, but I do know that in a lot of households, you're living with your extended family. So another reason that they were so strict was it doesn't matter, I think, how large the elderly population is, the chances of them living with the young people that would be in the workforce was quite high. So they didn't want children going to school or people going to work so that they would infect the older people living in that same household and then the whole entire family. So yeah. Right, is impacted. That makes yeah. sense. And then I saw a video of yours where you had taken a trip, I think it was shortly before you moved, and it looked like it was in a beach area and it looked very quiet. And so was that kind of nice to, I mean, it's not great for the tourism industry, but how, how, had, how did you see the um, COVID in fact impacting tourism when you, when you traveled within Thailand? It was, it was interesting. So I went to, I went to Kalsak National Park. It's very beautiful. There's giant limestone cliffs, um, but it's usually really, really, really busy. And when I went there, I was the only person staying in my hostel and that's never happened before. And this also was like cheap too. It was like $2 per night just because I was just being a cheap out. And I felt, I just felt kind of bad because there was no one there. It was really, really hard for me to get a, uh, a minibus from the airport to my hotel where normally there would be maybe four or five options in the minibus. There was a, I was the only foreigner. Mm. All of the locals were just on their daily work commute. And, um, I was the only foreigner that I saw, I think for two or three days in the park. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was talking to the driver and I was like, Hey, like, how's it going? What's it like? And he was like, it's very quiet. There's nobody here. And granted, it is a little bit of the off season, but still, like, I think the park was operating at like 35% capacity, um, which was huge. And even on the treks that I wanted to go to, they would tell me that I would either have to pay a lot more, like the price of maybe two or three people to subsidize the fact that I was hiring a guide or whatever, or um, I just couldn't go. And so one of the things that people do when they go to the park is they stay on these um, overwater bungalows. Like that's the thing to do. So mm -hmm. obviously that's what I wanted to do. But because there was no one at my hostel, my hostel had to call, I think maybe six or seven hotels to try to figure out if there were other people that wanted to stay overnight on the lake on the same night that I did. And I didn't know until the morning that I was leaving that I had a ticket to go. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like it took a little more coordination with others and a little less options. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't your typical like spontaneous kind of weekend trip that you can usually do here. Um, which I mean, was fine. And I think that other places were still quite open. Like Phuket was pretty open within Phuket anyways. Um, and Bangkok was pretty open as well. So. Cool. And then, so you're living in Malaysia now and what has that experience been like? And can you give us a little taste of what your daily life looks like? How are they dealing with COVID? Yeah, sure. So um, currently I'm in lockdown <laughs> and I think Malaysia is at like 42,000 cases. Uh, when I first got here, they were at 10. So within the last few weeks, things have really kind of um, gotten a little bit out of control just because the way that Malaysia works, um, everyone is living in cramped quarters. There's a lot of uh, Filipinos and Indonesian workers that are here that are either contractors or in-service maid helpers or what have you that are living in close quarters with each other. And it's hard to get that under control because they don't have anywhere else to live. Um, I think the other sector that's really been affected is the prison sector in Malaysia. So because of that, the whole entire country is kind of under a conditional lockdown, which is strange and not as limiting as I thought that it would be. So schools are closed, but if I want to, I can still go to the grocery store. I can still go on runs. I can still um, go eat with some friends. It's just the schools and I think maybe churches that are closed. So where large groups gather, I guess. Yeah, yeah, where large groups gather. Yeah, it sounds similar to here. We can still go out. I don't know. We can't, I don't think we can eat inside restaurants, but we can eat outside. Um, I think we just had a curfew instituted for like 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., but I, I don't think most people are going out. Um, and so then you're still teaching in Malaysia. Yeah, so I teach online now. Oh, oh okay. How are you liking that? Do you prefer to be in person or? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely okay. in person. I, I'm the sort of teacher that really feeds off of my students' energy. And so sometimes I'll be sitting here and I'm looking at a bunch of black little boxes. And I'm like, please, please turn on your camera. And one student will be like, okay, here you go. I'm like, hi, how are you? <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Like, so when you were in Thailand, I think a lot of people in Chiang Mai speak English. Yeah, And is do. it that the same case where you're at now? Like not knowing the language, has that ever been like a huge hindrance? No, I, um, no. The only thing that's a hindrance is that people think, is that people think that I speak the language that they want me to speak. Uh, that happened in Thailand. It happened here. I think it's happened in basically every Southeast Asian country I've ever visited. Um, people just, they automatically speak to me in their local language. And I'm just like, I'm an ignorant American. I only know English. And they're just like, what? And I'm like, English? And they're like, oh, and then they walk <laughs> away. Um, but it's, it's <laughs> where I'm currently living is considered the Beverly Hills of um, Kuala Lumpur. So okay. it is the first expat city. Everybody here is an expat. There are like, I've never seen so many white people 
in one singular location. Like it's been a long time since it's been that way. So everyone that I interact with speaks English. They also speak, I could be getting this wrong. I think it's Bahasa. Um, and they also speak like Malay and Chinese and Indonesian. They speak all these different languages, uh, but they very much speak English. So. Okay. So like the cost of living and then like how much you're getting paid is it just easier because things are not as expensive there? I mean, like, how does that balance out? And then like you were saying sure. earlier, like here, it's like, we have to worry about insurance and retirement. Like it is more homes are expensive. Um, yeah. so how does that math kind of work out? I, I just, I think it seems like it does, but I'm just curious what your It does. It does. I mean, obviously there are things that don't work. Like there's just, more expensive things because they're exported here or imported here. Um, but housing in general is quite affordable um, in Malaysia and in Thailand. Uh, local food, should you choose to eat it, is also quite affordable. So where I'm living in, uh, in Malaysia now, the Malaysian food is not as affordable as it would be in other parts of the city. But in general, I remember a weekend trip to KL being one of my cheapest trips because you could stay in a hostel, you could eat pretty good food um, and not have it cost a fortune. But that being said, there are certain luxuries that do tend to be more expensive. Um, like in Malaysia, for example, I have to pay a giant deposit on everything. I had to pay a deposit, I think it was like 150 US dollars for my SIM card on my cell phone plan. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I was like, you need how much money for what now? And they're like, it's a deposit and you'll get that back. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. Um, I had to pay a deposit on like my water delivery, which was weird. Um, and it was, I think, I don't know, it was like $300 that I'm paying for water for like drinking mm -hmm. water, which is crazy. But then bills, for example, are stupid cheap. Um, I think my water bill was like $4 and my gas bill is maybe $3 per month. Um, so what about it's healthcare, healthcare. So one of the best things about being an international teacher is that you're looking for packages where schools are providing that sort of service. So, um, I never have to look for healthcare unless I'm traveling and want travel healthcare. So I've never lived in a world where I think my friend was telling me the other day that there was open enrollment or something like that. Yes. And she was explaining that process to me. And I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> They just give me insurance. I don't know. But also like dental's really cheap here, but it's not included in my insurance. So okay. yeah. Yeah. So it's like, there are things that it sounds like it, things that are really great things that are maybe not so great, but overall it's probably much cheaper than living in the U S it sounds like. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, I don't know. I think everything here is at least a little bit cheaper. Um, and where I'm living, the imported goods are also decently affordable, I think. So nice. And then, so can you share a few lessons that you've learned living abroad? Like what advice would you give someone who wants to live abroad? Um, what's helped you to su successfully do that for the past five years? The first thing is to just be really flexible. Um, a lot of people that I've met that haven't succeeded in living abroad are people that are very stuck in their ways and 
are unmoving in their willingness to adjust to different cultures. Um, they just do things differently. And as much as people want to say, oh, but we're living in 2020, it should be different. It's like, yeah, that's true for a first world Western country, maybe, but you're talking about a developing country and they're just not going to think the same. Like, gender equality is not going to look the same the way that people are discussing about it in the United States. It's just, it's just not. Um, the way that people do, like here, for instance, people don't like to upset you, or at least in Thailand, they didn't like to upset you. So they know the answer to a question that you're, that you have, but they know that the answer is going to upset you. So they don't tell you the answer that's going to upset you. They tell you something else which a lot of people are like, well, they're lying to you. And it's like, yeah, they are, but it's, it's a cultural thing. They just don't want to like have conflict with you. And so they will do anything to protect that. So there's a phrase in Thai uh, called sabai sabai, which is basically just like, you just kind of let everything roll off your back and it's okay. Like there's also things called Thai time. So when you show up 30 minutes late, people aren't really upset. They're just like, oh, something came up, like, it's not a big deal. But I know a lot of people at home that would be very, they would be livid if you made them wait for 30 minutes. And it's just, it's just cultural differences. Yeah, it's cultural differences. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's one of them be really flexible. Um, And the second one is to just have fun with what's going on and to enjoy this experience. Um, There's a lot of things that could be changed and could be made better, but that's part of the experience of living abroad and you just get to to live a different life, I think, which is really, really cool. Yeah, and then I think the last thing that I would tell people is to just do it, to just do the travel thing if you can. Um, Don't go into debt if you don't have the money to do it, but chances are it's a life, it's a once in a lifetime experience. So if you have the $300 to go on a hot air balloon over Turkey and see all of the other hot air balloons, do it. Or like, if you want to stay on a boat and, um, I don't know, watch the bioluminescence in the ocean, like do the thing because it's not going to be here forever. And you're probably only going to be there once. As this year's shown us, just do it because you don't know. You <laughs> really don't. Yeah. Throw your huge curveballs. Yeah. Um, so you've been um, open and talking about dealing with anxiety and, and depression. And I was wondering if you could share what's helped you with that, how living in a different country has maybe impacted how you deal with it. Yeah. Just anything that's that you'd like you feel comfortable sharing that has worked for you that you think, you know, might help others? The first thing is therapy. I am a huge, huge advocate for therapy. Um, It took me a really long time to find a therapist that I liked in Chiang Mai. But once I did, it was undeniably nice to have somebody else to talk to about my feelings. Um, for a long time, I was burdening my coworkers and friends with the crap that was going on in my life. And that just, it wasn't healthy, um, but I just didn't know what else to do. I think being away from home is really difficult. It was more difficult than I thought, especially 
now that the world is telling me that I can't go home. It's like the only thing that I want to do is go home and visit family and whatnot. Um, but therapy, therapy really, really helped. I also think finding the things that bring you joy, whether or not it's going on a hike or just going to eat at your favorite food stall, those little comforts um, can go a long way in kind of easing what's going on in your life. Um, and I think having that one friend to talk to that won't kind of judge you for what you're feeling and will be there for you is um, really helpful. Was this like, did you struggle with this before you moved abroad or do you feel like it was more of a situational thing? Cause I imagine that moving like completely across the world is challenging, even if you're like up for it, you know, I think everyone's going to probably experience some emotions that are intense. Um, I dealt with a little bit of depression before I moved abroad. I didn't really deal with anxiety um, as much. It was, yeah, it was mostly, it was mostly depression. And I think um, it's a lot of situational depression for me. And there are just times where I get really affected by emotion um, and get, and kind of take on other people's feelings and burdens and just really feel them intensely. Um, but I started having anxiety once I moved because having to start over with so many people all the time is really, really difficult. So uh, being an expat means that people are coming in and out of your life all the time. People are moving to different countries. They're moving back home. They're getting new jobs. Like there's no strong core support system. Like a lot of people have when they are fully settled. Um, like it's like buying a house is just so not on my radar right now. And like finding like that core group is difficult because a lot of that core group are the people that you work with because you know that they're there for two year stints. And so for at least the next two years, these people are going to be there, but sometimes they leave. Um, and so that can be really, really, really difficult. And I think because of that, there was a lot of anxiety in the uncertainty of things, um, which is both what I love and what I hate about living abroad is that there's nothing that's for certain. Like my job, even though I work at a school and that school will still be open, hopefully, um, that is no longer certain because of this pandemic. We don't know how many students we're gonna get all the time. And that's true across the world, right? So more people are thinking about moving home and just being in a more permanent situation. Um, but that's just not something that a lot of expats can relate to, I think. So in your series, Asian in Asia, thought about before. So what has being Asian in Asia taught you? Um, what are some assumptions and, and myths that you've had to challenge in others and maybe had to face within yourself? Yeah, so I think it's taught me a lot about being appreciative of myself. Um, in some of my blogs, I've talked about how before I would identify as a white person, um, which I'm just 
clearly not, uh, but because of the people that I grew up with and the things that I did, people would say, well, are you're just, you know, that you're the most basic white girl. Um, you're the whitest person I know. And I was like, yeah, I am, blah, blah, blah. Like to the point where I would like refer to a bunch of white people and then like include myself in that group because that's who I thought that I was. Um, and then I moved to Thailand and realized that that wasn't the case. The very first instance that I had was my director who was giving us job placements when I first moved. He told me, he was like, because of the way you look, I, it might be hard to get you an English teaching job rather than some other sort of a job. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And like kind of brushed it off and it wasn't a big deal. And then there was a few things that happened later where people thought that I was a Thai prostitute um, that just didn't work in my favor. And I noticed that white people were being treated so much differently than I was. And I was friends with these people. I was with them. Um, and just little things like that. And I, and I brush a lot of it off because yes, it is cultural, but I now know that I will never be in that same place. I won't be looked at the same. I won't be treated at like treated the same um, as my white counterparts. And that has been kind of weird to grapple with when you think that you kind of have a privilege and people are like, actually you don't because that's just not who you are. Um, or that's not who we perceive you to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me after I started talking about that, saying that they have felt this exact same thing. And I think growing up in the United States, it's really easy to assimilate and to identify um, as the majority of the people that you hang out with. But I think it's really important to own your individuality and to really embrace who you are. And like, there's nothing, you know, that I'm ashamed of per se, but I definitely appreciate myself and my story a lot more. Sounds like a big benefit or sort of like gift of being so outside of what you grew up with and sort of having that moment of like, oh, wait a minute. These people are looking at me in a completely different way than I've ever looked at myself. And it seems like it could be a good opportunity to like have a stronger sense of who you are, or like get to that place because some of these things are so external outside of us, right? The way other people perceive us. And at the end of the day, it's really only comes down to us, right? But those things do, I mean, it does affect you the way other people treat you. Yeah. And, and I think I was just so blind to the fact that people didn't know that somebody like me existed, that I was just really taken aback. So when I first got my job in Chiang Mai, a lot of the kids were confused mm. about like how I acted so American, but looked the way I did and just didn't match up in there yeah like yeah they just they had never seen somebody like me before which is crazy because these are like the rich kids and the people that get to travel and are exposed to things um more so than you know the local people um that I was working with in Thailand so I I found that to be to be very interesting and I think I also just I tend to just brush things off here because it doesn't matter. So when people tell me that I speak English really well, hmm. the implication is that like, or the assumption is that I grew up here and I must have done something to get the opportunity to be able to speak the way that I speak. 
And I just get to tell them, oh yeah, like a group in the United States. They're like, oh, that must've been really nice for you. And I want to be like, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. I don't know anything else. Oh, I have a question about visas. So is it pretty easy then to get a visa in Thailand and Malaysia where you're at and, and renew it? Are you talking like a travel visa or like a work, a work visa? Because I'm assuming you have a work visa. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then your employer has ba has backed your visa for, okay, that's great. Yeah, it sounds like if you are with the right company, then it makes a lot of the things easier. Okay. Mm. Got it. Um, I usually ask in my interviews with this, but can you tell me about a travel experience that brought you joy? Ooh, there's honestly so many, but yeah. So the first one that comes to mind is uh, my solo trip to Turkey. So I took that two summers ago. God, I feel like forever, but yeah, it was two summers ago. Um, I just saw the best places and did the best things. I started in Istanbul and would spend hours just walking around the city and just talking to people and eating fruit and just taking photos. Um, I went to Cappadocia and that, let me tell you, that experience is absolutely unreal. I think it gets a little bit, or people think it's a little bit overrated because of the amount of travel bloggers mm -hmm. that go there and take the exact same photos. But let me tell you, it is every bit of that and more. It's just, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Like, it's just surreal. Wow. Um, and then I went to a place, a place called Ula Denise. Um, and when, I think it's hang gliding, I don't know. I went, I went on one of the things where some guy is with some huge parachute and we like jump off a cliff. That was terrifying. Oh, fun. Um, yeah, but it and was, scary. <laughs> oh, it was so, so scary. The guy was like, okay, you literally have to run. I can't do the running for you. And I was like, you want me to run off of this cliff? <laughs> and there was nobody there with me. And I was just, I was like, okay, let's go. And it was, it was terrifying, but it was so, 
so, so, so cool. Like I look, I look back on that trip so fondly and would go back in, in a heartbeat. It was just like, that trip was one of the best for sure. Wow. It sounds like it lived up to the hype. I think so. And I, and I was choosing between Turkey and Spain and a few of my friends that knew me, they were like, Ari, if you go anywhere, it has to be Turkey. Like you don't understand how great it is. And I was like, okay, Turkey, sure. Let's go see. And it was, it was absolutely unreal. I think there's very few trips that top that experience. And I think because I was by myself, I was able to appreciate the culture and the things that I was doing so much more than relying on people to make that trip as good as it was. Oh, nice. So it sounds like it's a good place for like a solo traveler. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the people are sound like the people are friendly and yeah, yeah. Everyone was like, everyone was really nice and uh, <laughs> a little off topic, but one of the things that I loved were the men in that culture. Mm-hmm. It's well known that like, if a Thai guy likes you, you don't know that he likes you. Sometimes they'll like leave a basket of fruit at your door to like attempt to court you. Like, it's just, it's very, very subtle passive <laughs> and like, oh, oh, so, so subtle. So it was really nice to see uh, Turkish men just being so upfront. I didn't appreciate it most of the time, but it was just nice to know that like what a guy was thinking, regardless of if it was positive or negative. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. You're like, I know what my next step can be because I know what you're because you've told. Yeah. yeah. You've made a move, <laughs> right? The ball is in my yeah. court. <laughs> I'm glad that where you're at sounds like it's very safe and under control for the most part. I think the kind of crazy thing is, um, I didn't, I didn't mention this before, but like right now my lockdown means that I can't leave the city. Okay. Um, which is kind of, which is crazy. I think in my opinion, for Um, how long or just indefinitely or we don't know. So they extend it like every two weeks. Um, and what's even more wild is that everything is done through the newspaper. So the, government doesn't make the announcement they tell the media and then the media pushes out what the government tells them and sometimes the prime minister will make some like announcement and that'll be broadcasted Mm. but it's the media that tells me whether or not I can go back to work at school oh interesting so you just have to wake up in the morning and read the paper yeah or like yeah or like I look at twitter or um I get an alert and I'm just like so what's going on and it's it's just, it's, it's a wild experience because it's just not how most people find all their news, I guess. Or they just, they're more critical of the media and here I am needing to believe all of it. Um, that is a very unique experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, and I, and I wish that I could leave the city a little bit to explore yeah. the city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is one area that like once you it's lifted, you like want to go to, like, is there a certain destination or? So they weren't on my list before I moved here. Um, well, there's two places. So one of them is the Cameron Highlands. Um, they're just supposed to be gorgeous and green and hilly and just everything I love in the world. Um, and then the next thing is the Parentian Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they're on the East Coast and they're just supposed to be gorgeous um and I could use a little bit of ocean in my life sure can't can't we all (laughs) (laughs) I live like 15 minutes from the ocean so (laughs) 
<laughs> it's oh, a requirement so in my life, but, <laughs> so I understand. Um, well, I know that you will get to those places. I'm not sure when, but it will happen. <laughs> and I can't wait to, you know, see whatever you decide to post or write about it. Um, that way we can live vicariously <laughs> through you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate this was fun. I, I love getting to kind of share my experience with people because a lot of, especially now, like people don't, don't get to do this. So my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Explore a New podcast. Don't worry, we have a new episode every week. Subscribe so you don't miss it. And don't forget to visit explorerandyou.com for more inspiration and tips. If you want to share the love, you're welcome to send this podcast to others. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.